Welcome to Lighting a Fire. All things teaching and learning with the Teaching Council. Welcome to the Teaching Council's podcast, where we talk about everything relating to teaching and learning. My name is Tomas O'Rourke, and I am the Director and CEO of the Teaching Council. This episode is slightly different from our usual format. We are revisiting Failsa 2019 in NUI Galway, where Fina Morohu stepped in at the last minute to host a panel discussion on inclusive education. The focus of the discussion is not just about additional needs or special education needs, but rather it looks at the wider area of inclusion, socio-economic diversity, and access to our education system for all teachers and all learners. Although the discussion took place in 2019, we all know just how important inclusive education continues to be. Our understanding of what it means continues to evolve, and therefore it raises new questions all the time. Our hope is that this panel discussion will inform your thinking as much as it did that of the audience in 2019. Perhaps now, more than ever, we are all looking at ways to involve every member of the school community. Please do let us know if you are enjoying our podcast and give us a review if you can. Please enjoy. I'm very honoured to be invited. I'm just going to share a few stories with you and open it up. The concept of inclusive education is a very sensitive one. It's one that cuts to the chase. It brings us back to our values and our beliefs very quickly. If I do use humour, it's in the sense of keeping you awake. It's not in the sense of dismissing the importance of the topic, which is inclusive education. So the magic thing about not being an inspector anymore is I can say what I want, okay? So these are my views, and if you disagree with me, I'd be delighted because I usually learn from people who disagree with me. If you agree with me, I'll just be relieved and grateful. Okay, so thank you. That's me up on the screen, uh, not on the right, on the left, okay? Uh, that photo, that drawing was taken by a young man in a school in Tipperary that I visited when I was in the inspectorate. And I use it a lot just to remind myself of we can sanitize education and we can talk in terms of credits at third level or syllabi and so on and so forth. But it's really about people. And if it's about people, we must always remain open to surprises. And I was really surprised to get that. Uh, and the reason I was surprised was because I spent two minutes in the company of the person who drew it, whose name was Sean. It was drawn on the 1st of May 2013, and Sean at the time was a six foot two, 15, non-verbal young man uh, with autism. And uh, it just keeps me uh, honest when I talk about education, is that we can foreclose on the magic of what we do. On that note, if we are celebrating, and I... Th- strongly believe we should celebrate what we do. I have traveled, I have looked at classes and schools in the country, I have been lucky enough to travel abroad on occasions as well, and I think we should give ourselves a round of applause. I do not know of a more inclusive education system than the one we have here. So, take a bow. But, do you want to improve it? So let's have a look and see uh, what I have to say and see does it line up with some of what you might have to say. So given that we're in Galway, uh, I think 
It's not anything to do with being stone mad to be a teacher or anything like that, uh, or stonewalling. It's, uh, it's about diversity. Every single stone there is different. They wouldn't stand unless they leant against each other, but you also need the space to be on your own. You also need the wind to pass through it or else the wall will fall. So again, the concept of diversity is very complex and it's very unique and it's very personal at one level and at another level it's very public uh, and very, very important. In my context, I believe in the centrality of the teacher, okay? I have used this slide before, but because Andy spoke about something this morning, I'm just going to use one or two slides that I've used in the past. Nothing to do with the fact that I was asked to do this 24 hours ago, okay? No, absolutely not. So, this is Mr. Daly on the right, okay? Uh, and uh, Tomas this morning, aka Tim, Tomas this morning spoke about, um, about his teacher, and Mr. Daly was my teacher. Now, hands up, how many of you have a teacher in your head that made a huge difference? See, that's the power. And some of you are lucky enough to have two. By the way, how many of you are primary? I just need to know my audience. Oh, dear. All right, how many of you are real teachers? How many of you are post-primary? <laughs> All right, good. All right, that's good. Okay. Right. Yeah. The, the topic is inclusion. Okay, All right, okay. So, and we know, we know, we know the difference. It's age-old primary love there, students, post-primary love there, subject, third-level love themselves. Uh, and when it was in the inspectorate, nobody loved you. So, there you go. Right, there's a prize at the end to see where I am uh, on that slide. Okay, this is the other slide I always use, okay? And it's the fast-forward. Come on, it's not that funny. It's as ridiculous as this, okay? There, Tomas touched on it again this morning. There's no point in having special education over here and having education over here. It, it doesn't work. And the reason I'm using these slides is because I, I, think, uh, I think of Andy Hargreaves a lot. I read a lot of his stuff. I think some of my English, however bad it is, is uh, an improved English because of reading his work. He's a wordsmith. Uh, and one of the lines he used this morning is something that I use a lot when I'm talking about inclusive education, and apologies to Brexiteers, but it goes a bit like this, uh, what's essential for some is good for all. So if you think uh, of special aid as being something over there, I think, uh, I think we're missing an opportunity. That's, that's my, my view. Uh, and I defy my students and thoroughness to give me an example where essential for some good for all doesn't work. It's, it's, um, it's, it's just a wonderful phrase to, to keep alive. So some thoughts on inclusive education. Uh, it's about any learner at risk of not learning. So that means you need to know your students, you need to know where they're coming from, you need to know their background. When I was a teacher, I was known as the slow teacher. Don't get nervous, I have six minutes left and I'll, I'll do the six minutes. But I was a slow teacher because I was deemed to be teaching slow children. Uh, we have moved a long way from there and we know that any, any, any child at risk of not learning is our responsibility and that's what we do as teachers. And we do have a lot of good work going on in schools, what I sometimes call invisible harvests. There's incredible work and that's from John O'Donoghue's work, that notion of teachers really, really doing good work, and maybe not even realizing it themselves. Uh, and I had the pleasure when I was in the inspectorate to witness good work, to be embarrassed by the good work and say, God, why didn't I do that when I was, when I was there? 
uh, and it, it caused me to, to do some further research on such topics as, as inclusion itself, but also team teaching and collaborative practice. So all teaching is about good teaching. So good teaching is good teaching. It's as simple, as complex as that. Inclusive education, I believe, is school improvement. The minute you start attending to inclusive education, you're attending to school improvement because you're looking at each and individual student in your, in your classroom and you're taking them forward as best you can. Uh, I think diversity is essential. That wall wouldn't stand without diversity. And we need diversity in both the staff room and the classroom. We also need to have inclusive staff rooms if we're going to have inclusive classrooms. And we need to look out for each other. And I take Andy's point about the collaborative piece. The she God love us is not good enough. Um, that goes back to my mother. Okay, That would be one of her phrases. Okay, uh, she God love us. Uh, I think we've moved a long way from pitying people uh, and we know that we have a wonderful opportunity to work with them and bring them forward uh, and bring them to the next step, uh, that zone of proximal development, as, as we know. And I think culturally we are built uh, slightly differently in the concept of mehel and helping each other out for a common purpose. And I think that's a space that more and more we, we, we uh, can work towards and work together towards. And I know collaboration is tricky because collaboration doesn't always end well. Some of the examples from history will be the Nazis and the Mafia will be kind of good in collaboration as well. Some of us are still suffering from bankers and builders collaborating very well up to recently. So we need to keep learner voice, learner outcomes to the fore of any conversation around collaboration because it's collaboration for what outcome. It's not collaboration for its own sake. Um, and I, again, I think team, te team teaching, uh, while initially perceived in the context of special aid, has grown and developed to be seen as a key driver for teachers' professional learning. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity, not without its challenges, but a wonderful uh, opportunity. Just note that it is not a methodology. It is two people in a room. The methodologies come after the two people uh, in the room. Some more thoughts are maybe slightly a little bit more provocative. Um, we need to continue to champion, advocate and resource. We, we have, and I genuinely believe, we have the most inclusive education system in the world. 99.2% of all our children between 4 and 18 attend mainstream schools. And the work that special schools are doing is profound and wonderful as well. Uh, not just from an educational point of view, but from a social point of view. Um, the continuum of teachers' professional learning is very much linked to inclusive education. You know, as teachers, sometimes student teachers or NQTs, the first challenge they encounter is in that special aid, that inclusion space. So they go looking for somebody who can assist them there. And that came out of the research we were doing with the NCSC on initial teacher education for inclusion. Now you know it's research, therefore it's true. You knew that before we did the research, so it's even more true now. But you know what I mean. Policy formation is iterative, mandated and mediated. When I joined the inspectorate, I always thought policy came from circulars that nobody read and you just made your own of what was going on anyway, okay? Um, and I have been involved in writing some of those circulars. But policy is also inspired by practice. And I think that's the wonderful thing about FAILTA. It's the beginning of conversations around teacher sharing. You know the notion of notions? And that culturally we're not really good at sharing because then you run the risk of being told that, or is she, look at her, telling us that she's doing this, notions, right? So let's be careful. Let's have notions and let's, let's share those notions. And let's share, humbly share, what we think is working in our educational system. And equally, 
have conversations around that pebble in the shoe. What's not working? Let's collaborate around the problem that we both understand uh, to be with us at a particular time. And again, keep an eye on the senior cycle review. I think it's very, very important that we keep an eye that our curriculum is an inclusive curriculum. I think we've done a lot of good work at junior cycle with level one and level two. And I think we need to keep an eye that that progresses into senior cycle as well. Obviously, further explore greater links between the primary, post-primary, the, the, the higher education space and the uh, HEIs. And finally, FELTA is an occasion, but I think the mindset of FELTA is something that can happen on a daily basis, and that's my invitation to you today in the context of inclusive education. So, that's what I believe is what we're at when we talk about inclusive education. We're united in values, we're united in intentions, but we're certainly not uniform in how we go about our business because we can't be uniform because we're responsive to the young people in our classroom. So to finish, I suggest that teachers are what is special in education. That's Mr. Daly uh, a few years later than 1973, and uh, we're still in touch. Uh, and as I say, it's, uh, it's powerful to have somebody that you're still in touch with. But I would reiterate what Andy said. If you haven't made contact with that teacher who caused you to put up your hand when I asked you a few minutes ago, I think it's a good idea that you do. Um, so, Sinead for now. Thank you very much. Thank you, Finn, uh, uh, for what is certainly a very brave presentation at times. I think you succeeded in, in insulting each cohort of teachers in the audience at one stage or another, but still got them to laugh, which is a major achievement. But thank you for that very um, interesting and visually certainly stimulating presentation on inclusive education for all teachers for all learners, for all the society. There's a very important breadth and depth in that presentation, I think. Can I ask you the panel members to join us on stage now, please? Um, so first of all, we have John Cunningham, please. Uh, and all, can all panel members come on stage? I'll just do the introductions as you're walking on stage. So here is John Cunningham. He's from Mount Bellew in County Galway, and he's a mature student at NUI Galway here. He attended the Access Programme and commenced third-level education in 2014 and completed his Diploma in Foundation Studies through the Access Programme, and then commenced his BA in Law and History in 2014. He's going to qualify with an Advanced Diploma in Education and Law, a Master's, and Suspended Sentence, <coughs> Problems of Rationale and Suitability. Then we have Nada Khaled Abdo. Am I saying that correct? So Nada is a French and Spanish teacher at Holy Faith St. Mary's Secondary School in Colester in Dublin. She also teaches SPHE and Wellbeing, originally from Hungary. She first came to Ireland as an au pair in 2009 and later finished her undergraduate, undergraduate degree and then PME here in NUI Galway. Um, half Swabian and half Yemeni. She under-volunteered in Greece, Greece, I should say, for a year to assist with the refugee crisis there. So she reminds me of Kira earlier on, actually, in terms of this massive breadth of experience that you're, and expertise you're bringing to the profession. Uh, Dr. Niall Muldoon probably doesn't need much of an introduction, but he's the Ireland's second ombudsman for children here. He's a clinical and counselling psychologist, previously director of investigations at the ombudsman's office, was appointed by the president on the 17th of February 2015. The OCO is an independent office that investigates complaints about services provided to children by public organisations. And as Ombudsman Nile is focused on generating an Ireland where children and young people are actively heard, particularly where they are most vulnerable. I'll depart from the script and also say I've got to know Nile quite well over the last couple of years, particularly through our work on well-being, well-being for teachers and learners, in collaboration with the IPPN, the NAPD, and the National Parents Council Primary. And you know, there's a, a great heart there in terms of 
the whole system, teachers, and yeah, yes, it's a children's ombudsman, but understand how the whole community comes together, and I very much, uh, in my experience, would get that. And of course, Finn, I've already introduced. We have about 28 minutes on the clock, folks, so if you could bear with us, for about a total of maybe 40 minutes left, including closing remarks at most, uh, and we'll see how we go in the conversational dynamic. I, I, like all panel discussions which I chair, I want the panel members to feel free to jump in, it shouldn't depend on my questions for the conversation to flow. And at about halfway mark, I will come to the audience for comments, questions, observations. So please don't be afraid. We are all friends here. We're all teachers and members of the public here as well. Um, this is our last opportunity. And this year's failed should have your voice heard. So please make the most of it when I come to you in about 15 minutes uh, or so. To all the panel, I'll start probably with yourself, John, in a yeah. moment. But, but Finn, you know, put it up to some respect. He said, look, we've got much to be proud of. But we have to remember, we're all teachers, we're all learners here. And my opening comment to simulate the conversation comes from Anya Lynch, who's the CEO of the National Parents Council of Primary. And she was helping us on an idea called Beacons about getting more conversations going with teachers and parents and students. And she was asked, as others were, what would her vision be for the education system? And as an early school leaver herself who returned to education, she said, it would be nice to have a system where you didn't feel you had to leave in order to be yourself. Okay. How would that resonate with you? Uh, I would fully endorse that. Um, I would also say that celebrating diversity is, is pivotal. And I think where children, I, I aim it mainly at children first, but where children are given the opportunity to be themselves and nothing is criticised for the sake of criticism, that everything is acknowledged and saying, well, look, that's great. That's really interesting. Let's see what the class think and bring the class in on that. When it comes to my age group, and we're of a similar hairstyle, so I'm, I'm assuming... <laughs> Speak for yourself, we're, we're, we're on the same. Uh, it, it would have been a very different environment. Uh, and I know that when I decided to go back to college, um, I was 48 uh, when I walked in the gate here. And I, I was very daunted by the prospect. And uh, I couldn't have been wronger. If, okay. if I tried, um, I found third level to be very open, very accepting, and I fitted in where I thought I wouldn't. Okay. And I met friends with people that I would never have thought would be friends because of the age difference and things like that. And it worked very well. It's a very open environment. And I had the pleasure of bringing my children to lectures. I've brought an 83-year-old aunt to a constitutional law lecture. <laughs> and... Um, Nobody raised a flag and started shouting or made an issue of it. And there's been a knock-on effect. Um, my kids never ask questions about different people or people with obvious physical disabilities. They just accept this is another person. And that's what we need. And I think that's what inclusivity is. Everybody. There are no exceptions. And third level has a degree of flexibility to allow for that. And I've seen instances where people couldn't complete their degree in three or four years and accommodation was made because of their need to extend the deadline. And that, that makes an awful difference. Thanks, John. Now, can I come to you next in terms of by implication, all your sentence was speaking of herself as a younger student, but equally, that sentence could apply to teachers. You know, the freedom to be themselves as people in the system. How do you feel about that? Do you feel the freedom to be yourself, as a, given your diverse background and so on? How does that play out for you as a teacher in a school? 
it can be quite challenging at times um, to be myself because I'm the only non-Irish uh, teacher in the school that I'm teaching in, and everyone is welcoming and very friendly. Um, yet it can be isolating um, just along the fact that um, I'm the only one from a completely different educational background, um, and I would be raising um, questions from a completely different perspective. Um, and yet most of my students would be coming from Eastern European um, countries in first and second, in the junior cycle at the moment. There would be quite a big uh, percentage of them um, at the moment, which I find very interesting and almost um, like a mission field for me to show them everyone can become a teacher. Um, everyone can achieve any goal that they want to if they put their mind um, to it. It was very hard to break barriers, especially uh, during the PME program, finding a um, school placement. First question always, are you a past pupil? Um, do you know anyone from the school? Um, and to be honest, I was quite desperate. Um, I teach French and Spanish, and I speak both languages fluently. Um, I finished my undergraduate, bought my PME with first class honors, yet I wasn't given even an interview. The only reason why I got my first placement is because I helped out a Croatian a cleaner in the school um, who knew the person who would work with the PMEs. <laughs> and even then, I had to go into the school three times to just even uh, give my CV uh, to the person in question. And it was quite challenging to be faced by that. But I would say once that barrier was um, broken and I worked very hard in my first year, every door opened. Like I find um, that once I've shown what I'm capable of, um, Ireland is an extremely inclusive environment, very positive and helpful. But it was very hard to put my foot into the door, um, even though I think um, I was able to share um, and offer quite a lot. Um, so that would be my initial experience. Thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that, thank you so much for that, Nada. Particularly that phrase of showing what I'm capable of, but you're also reflecting, I think, research that the Migrant Teacher Project in Marino have conducted of the experience of migrant teachers, so like yourself, qualified teachers, and I attended the launch along with the head of registration of the council in Marino some months previous, and there was that constant narrative of the difficulty of getting the foot in the door. Like, exactly as you said, once they got in the door, their talents could be shown and, like, and all the rest, but it was that difficulty of bridging that gap. Mm -hmm. um, so they're, they're living in the community, they're here with us, they're qualified and so on, so that's, you're really bringing that to life. Um, but the other thing, and I'll come to you in this one, still on the same thread of the question about leaving the system, teachers and students, but there's a very powerful word that both John and Nada have, have used. It's such a simple word, everyone. Mm. Everyone could be a teacher. Or, as John was saying, everyone, inclusion is about everyone. That's what Finn's message was. And yet still Nada's narrative of, you know, that in our school placement review in the teaching council, we come across that, the HEI speak of that, how demoralized it can be for any student teacher. And Irish student teachers have faced that as well of 23 rejections, let's say, trying to get to school, or three times again in the door. So you're coming from the child's perspective, 
Maybe we're supposed to be focused on the child. What's your sense of what you're picking up in this narrative here? I suppose it's not it's not a huge shock. Um, I think Anya's quote that you put out was, anywhere, any system, whether it's in work or as education or whatever it might be, fun, sport, if you have to leave the system to be yourself, that system is not working. We've got to do something about it. If you can't be yourself in a system, you're never going to maximize your potential. So we've got to look at it from that point of view. I think what Nada said is, is very clear, and it, it's. I do think the Irish are very receptive to good people, but we cut ourselves off from so many good people, whether that's because of disability, the color of the skin, religion, the name, <clears throat> whatever it might be. I think we would be shocked, and I think I heard a few gasps to think that people would in any way sort of suggest racism or, or difficulty getting in the door. That happens not just from people coming in from outside of the country. We have difficulty people getting um, TY students who come from the wrong demographic, socio-demographic. So poverty, um, unemployment, all those things break down or make it much more difficult for you to get a foot in the door, to get your name in the door. So we, we all know examples where the address, if you take off the address, the person will get an interview. If you put on the address, they won't get the interview. So inclusivity goes across the whole of society. And from my point of view, it impacts all of our children. And it's why, it's why I suppose I, I think education is the key, and we've all known that. I mean, that's Mandela has said is the most powerful tool. We know education is the key, but we've got to use, the, recognize the whole of society around the children in education it needs to change as well. And this is the challenge I put out before. The concept of DASH is hugely important, where we give extra support to our schools and to our principals and our teachers to, to help our children come out of that education or that poverty trap. But we don't surround the community with the same level of support. We don't go in and give the, the adults adult education or community, uh, computer literacy or literacy even. We don't break, stamp down on the crime in those dash areas. We don't provide an opportunity for all boats to rise so that when the child goes home from their fabulous school, the parents are a facilitative of them changing and inclusive and create the inclusivity. So I think it's something we need to look on a broader scale. You know, and one of the challenges I've put out here to, to before, and I've said it publicly in the Oireachtas, is that we need to get to a stage where we celebrate coming out of DASH, because that means all of our children are now included in the same way as everybody else is included. They're not just specially facilitated. I think that's what John's talking about, is everybody is the same. And we need to get to that stage, and that takes a different type of thinking. It's a next step. I think our government and our education system is about to mature into that next step. We've got to start seeing it's great to support people who are difficult or invulnerable, but we've got to support them in a way that we no longer need to support them in the future. Just one last point. Yep. In, our, in our office, we wrote a strategic plan. We talked about trying to um, get to hard-to-reach children, and one of our staff, Fair Play to them, challenged it and said, you know what, it's the other way around. We need to make, we are the hard-to-reach place and we mean to make, take the responsibility for us being easy to reach. So our schools where you apply needs to make it easier for you to reach them. Need to make the disabled child, the gifted child, the physically inactive child, whatever it might be. We mean to make the system easier for that child to access. And that's the, we need to turn it around rather than give them as a special treat, as a special opportunity. It needs to be in, built into our system. So hopefully that'll happen. Thanks, Niall. So I'm going to just add a couple of uh, sidewinders uh, just for you to this question, given, given what Niall has just said. But his comment on the system maturing and this kind of the wider community context, but we're back to our earlier panel discussion, some of, of the audience who would have been here for that. And the, there's some tensions bubbled up in the discussion 
particularly around this idea of the curriculum, the pressure teachers are under on the one hand, particularly post-primary two, you know, have good results for their students, mm -hmm. and yet include on the other hand. And so it's similar tensions in English as I would have picked up. Mm -hmm. And the idea of a, of a community curriculum was discussed. So what, what do we mean by curriculum? And I asked at one point, you know, is the curriculum restricting teachers' professional judgment? Is it actually preventing them from being more flexible and more open and easier to access? Mm -hmm. One member of the panel said yes, he was even asked the question, and the other one, the teacher from primary, gave a slightly more nuanced answer. But are, is, is, is that a tension? And is that a re given what what Niall is talking about? And if it, if that is a tension, the, and the whole notion of what's learning, what's knowledge, mm. skills, and so on, and yet we need to re be more flexible. Mm. What? How can we go about that? And you're you're a teacher of teachers. Yeah, um, the the curriculum is what what you experience in schools. That's my understanding of a curriculum. So it's not just the assessment piece, it's not the syllabus only, it's the whole piece uh, from the minute you s cross the threshold into the school to the time you leave it. Uh, and what is that experience then, which in a sense, you know, it kind of throws up another question because the next question is, well, what is a school? What is a school now in relation to the experience that um, students uh, encounter? Uh, what do we want schools to do? Um, when I was teaching, I remember my understanding of being a good Moontor Gaelga was everybody passed their intercert, you know? And I was dead proud that I got kids from areas that maybe there wasn't too much support for them to get that uh, attainment in the exams. And I'm still proud of that. But what, what I'm not proud of is maybe the overemphasis on that relative to the bigger picture, which only came later as I matured as a, uh, as a teacher. Uh, and I think teachers, as I said, I'm a, I'm a post-primary teacher, so that, that's all I know. Um, they are under a lot of pressure. And the Leaving Cert brings a lot of pressure to students, but it brings a lot of pressure to teachers as well. And we talk about, you know, a school is where you can be who you want to be. But the pressures that come with some aspects of the curriculum don't allow you to be the teacher you want to be because you have to, you have to do what you have to do. Um, and uh, there's pressure from parents, there's pressures from students. Um, I know from our research and team teaching, you'll have students in fifth year saying, where's my grind? I don't want two teachers in the classroom. I want to go out and work with that one person. There are some of the realities and practicalities. Uh, and I think teachers are the key to, to progressing our education system, but they're, they're not the cause of all ills when it comes to our educational system. Fair but enough. I'm going to come back to that thing about the wider expectations of the, of the system, particularly parents-wise, because we've got the National Parents Council post-primary here in the audience today. Before I go to the next page of the discussion, if anybody in the audience wants to make a comment in response to what they've heard from the panel, a comment for the panel to respond to, or a question I want to put to a particular member of the panel or the panel as a whole. To see hands, please, we've got roving mics. Sorry, this gentleman here, thank you. <clears throat> Hi, my name is Kevin Finn. I am with the uh, National Parents Council Post-Primary. Very good. Uh, just a question, and, and that is, um, talking about inclusivity in education, uh, I didn't hear, unfortunately, too much about inclusing in, inclusion of parents in the overall equation. Mm. Um, and two aspects of that I'd like to maybe Patton could comment on. One is uh, communication and feedback from parents, and the second thing is we have the um, parents and student charter coming on stream shortly, um, and uh, involving parents in school. 
uh, the approach might be essentially is what can parents give to schools, what can schools give to parents. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. So we're working to the panel with that one. Anybody else with a comment or question? Going once, twice. Okay, so we've got a two-part question, and I'm going to start with Niall on this one, if that's okay. So the inclusion of parents wasn't, didn't feature in the comments thus far on the panel. So can we talk about that and the aspects of feedback from parents and communication with parents and the parent and student chart, which I know you're particular interested in as well, Niall. So, yeah, well, that went to you first, so off you go. Okay, well, I mean, I, um, as Tomas talked about at the start, I'm part of the well-being for teachers and learners, and we're very much aware of the importance of a, of a t school community. So it has to include parents, it has to include the teaching staff, it has to include all the other staff as well, and the community in the wider sense. So I'd always been thinking that's what education is, it's the wider school community. The, and thankfully it took, it's taken three years to push it, but it's now called the Student and Parent Charter. So no disrespect, we're putting the student first for the first time in 110 years in an education system. And the whole essence of it is to create uh, a dialogue and a forum which allows children and parents and teachers to sit down together and say, what is our mission statement for this school? What do we want out of this school? So regardless of the general practice to date, which may have been solely on let's get as many H1s as possible. We can also add into our, our mission statement that we also want uh, people to uh, involve in school. We want 90% participation in PE. We want mental health classes, whatever it might be. It's a chance for the voices of both the student and the parents to be heard at primary school all the way through to secondary school till they come out the other end of Leaving Cert. And for me, that's proper inclusion. And what it does, and what is really going to make a difference over 10 years from now, will be if you have a student and from, say, fourth class onwards being asked, or even down as far as junior, junior infants if they can, but if you ask a young person every year, what do you want from your school? By the time they get to 14 years of age, they're going to demand to be asked what they want from the school. They're going to demand, they're going to expect it, they're going to have their voice heard, and they're going to want to follow through on that. And that's really changing society. So then 10 years from that, they're the teacher who says, this is how society should be, this is how inclusive I will be. I felt heard, I make sure every child in my school is heard. And you move it forward, they also become the educators, they, they become the, the Department of Education, they become the inspectors, they become the policemen, the, the parents, the doctors, the politicians into the future. So 10, 15 years from now, because we've heard the voices of everybody in the school community, our society and our community will change in and of itself. So for me, that's a huge, huge step forward. It came out of the fact that parents weren't being heard. It came out of the fact that somebody challenged our office, saying we weren't doing enough to help parents with complaints in schools. So this creates a new culture. And from my point of view, it's, it's a huge step forward, and I hope it can't come, come in quick enough. Fian, can I just spin this a little bit, coming to you um, from an education point of view, because there has been some critique from some teachers that a student and parent charter omits the teachers. Mm. And a bit like I said earlier on about the whole well-being space, that although the pendulum has been too far in one direction thus far, and we've made some horrific mistakes in our treatment of children and young people in the past, are we in danger of going too far the other direction? So the idea of a school community charter that would have all voices equally valued. So that the train has left the station, obviously. It is a bill for a student and parent charter, but are we at risk of swinging the pendulum too far the other way in all of this? And I'll please, if you can, pay, pay attention to the, the question of parents as well in all of this. So... Yeah, I think you're always at risk with pendulums, uh, whichever way they swing. Um, I, to, 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 to address the question directly around the, the, the parent yeah. uh, in, involvement, 
I think that, you know, there's a phrase by Seamus Hickory where he says special ed comes to the rescue of mainstream education every time because special ed goes first with a lot of things that then become mainstream. It's kind of linked to universal design for learning, I guess. But you have the space where, um, rightly or wrongly, uh, I don't know what the audience views are, individual education plans. But that was uh, an opportunity for parent voice to be recognized and valued in the context of children's learning. Uh, and I always found it very, very helpful, uh, both as a teacher uh, and as a department inspector, to engage as much as possible with parents. Um, and that might sound a little bit patronizing, but that's actually what we had to do. It's a bit like the Desh conversation. The fact that you're talking about how do we engage with parents reflects the problem because we're obviously not engaging enough with parents. Um, so I think in the special aid space, there's an awful lot of good work going on. That said, when I was in the inspectorate, the amount of phone calls from parents who had to fight for very, very basic rights for their children in our public educational system was um, quite demoralizing and uh, and um, on occasions it was very, very difficult to hear how parents and their children were being treated in their educational system. Um, if I can make just maybe, Tomas, just to say in, in, in the, in the uh, initial teacher education space, we're now working with the National Parents Council Primary uh, with our students. So they're doing uh, a module on how to work with parents. And as one of the students said, I know this is not how to deal with parents. And I said, no. And I said, you'll know why by the end of the module. Um, because um, there, there is a job of work to be done. If we're serious about collaboration, collaboration isn't just about collaboration with each other in the school, though that's very, very important. But we need to extend that collaboration to co-construct where we're going with the learning for our young people and have conversations with them. And then in turn, you have conversations with the parents. And the other piece around the parental space, I think that came up last night around, you know, um, not enough resources. <clears throat> I think one of the key ways of getting resources is to uh, leverage the support of parents in showing those who provide the resources, the actual benefit of the investment in those resources. And the benefit of what teachers do play out across 24 hours, not just the hours in school. And if we can access what parents are saying and the small little successes that parents encounter in, in special education particularly, that we as teachers don't often uh, even see, never mind honour. So I think there's a huge opportunity. Sorry oh, for going on. No, you're fine. The point of telling our stories, uh, telling our story as a community mm -hmm. of all that happens. Kanada. Mm -hmm. Jump in there, sorry. Jump away. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about parents, I think it's very important, just because I'm not of an Irish origin, to recognise that there's a growing number of um, parents' population in our schools that may not speak English or speak it not so well, um, like myself when I'm nervous. Um, so I think it's important when we um, raise important issues and uh, think about excellent strategies to involve parents into the life of the school and the development of the child that we do consider to make language an issue, be able to communicate with parents. Um, I myself attended parent-teacher meetings where there was a huge language barrier and it was very challenging to communicate uh, the need of a child um, and support 
on both sides. So I think that's another thing we might need to look at. Um, in one of my placement schools, uh, there was an excellent um, um, after school um, study, almost an English class offered for parents. And I thought that was an excellent way of uh, involving them into um, the school, getting to know the staff, but also to give them the opportunity to be able to communicate um, in the language of this land. So I think that's an important thing to add there. Just if you come back to the second, because for many teachers, they say the parent-teacher meeting can be a very daunting experience, but you the additional challenge of a language barrier. So you yourself in that situation, how did you work your way through? Did you get extra support for yourself or for the parents to improve it over time? How did you work on that gap? It depends, I guess, from parent to parent, um, you know, uh, their level, their um, ambition also of how much they want to um, participate in that conversation. Um, it's very challenging. Um, sometimes we are literally using Google Translate, wow. you know, to communicate. Um, but if it needs to be done, it needs to be done. I think it's essential that every voice is heard. Mm -hmm. And um, it is daunting and intimidating to sit in front of someone uh, when you don't feel secure that you speak that language well. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we just need to be careful of how um, do we communicate and how much we are relying on have they understood everything that we said? Are we slowing down? Are we trying to, you know, help them understand? Or we're just going through the same drill and they pick up as much as they can because our time is precious and we have to get to the next person. So I think when we look at individual people in front of us, it's always a much better approach than we generalize and we say, we need a new strategy. We need a new policy. I always prefer a personal connection both with my students and the parents. I think we'd all say amen to that. Uh, you remind me of Adam Harris of As I Am has said that when you've met a child with autism, all you can say is you've met a child with autism. Mm. You can't generalize. So yeah. uh, th th even though there are different types of inclusion, there's the same human learnings co coming through these. John, it's yeah. probably to you for the last word on this one, but I mean, whatever effects you have on the discussion so far, but also the, the whole issue of the whole challenge and the role of, of including parents in school life, given your own life experience. Yeah, I'm a huge believer in parents as partners in education and that the if you're not participating in your child's education, you can't ever complain about it. And it's much better to have a relationship with your school before a problem arises. Mm. And parents should be seen by a school as resources, not just as fundraising resources, but mm. as a, a positive resource and incorporate them in the learning process if at all possible. And uh, I, I feel that this is a huge thing that we underestimate. Mm. And I feel that if a parent association calls a meeting, people run for cover because they're afraid they're going to get elected to a position that they don't want, that somebody else didn't want, or they're going to be asked to fundraise. Mm. And parents and fundraising are tied. And we can't escape this because funding is a big, big problem. I have kids in a school that doesn't have a gym and we have no prospects of getting a gym. Yet we're learning about childhood obesity and people living unhealthy and sedentary lifestyles. If you don't have a gym in this climate, in the west of Ireland, you're going nowhere. And we need to get these things sorted. And the government talk about uh, 
an action plan on, on children obesity. It's 2025 they're looking at. We're not dealing with it now. I, I think that parents can make a bigger contribution by if the fundraising that a parent association generates, if that's matched with matching funding from the school or from the education body that's governing that school, then the teachers and the children can reap the benefits of the reward and say, well, look, the parents and the school put that together mm. and they've got better purchasing power together. But it's partnership. It's never an us and them. And if, if you get into an us and them situation, the child will lose out at all times. That's, that's my take on it. I think that, that's a really fitting closing statement, clearly going from the audience reactions, John, so thank you for that. So I'm just asking you to put your hands together for all, all panel members. It was a really interesting discussion.